0: You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. So tonight I'm just going to tell you a story. It's from the Bible. It's a fairly... um... It's a story you'll know parts of, but I don't think you'll know it all. And the reason I'm telling you a story rather than preaching a sermon is, I can tell Jamin's a good preacher and I don't want you to start comparing me here. (laughs) So, no, that's not really the reason, but I can tell you've heard good preaching and good teaching. The reason I'm telling a story is that I've noticed that much of the Bible is simply, uh, uh, they're simply stories, aren't they? Right, didn't Jesus tell stories? Right? We call them parables. So he did that. And much of the Bible is simply these stories. And many times in the Bible, it doesn't say what it means. God trusts us to figure it out. So I'm going to trust you to figure it out. I'm simply going to tell you the story. I'm not going to say point one, point two, point three, although it might be nice <laughs> to do that. I will be tempted to, but I'm not going to. Because really, you will hear the story from your own vantage point, what you're going through, what you need. And the Spirit will give you insight into what you need tonight. The only thing I need from you is, is a commitment that after you leave, that you won't just forget. Just give yourself at some point tonight, five or ten minutes to think about it. Our lives are very full with internet and phones and family and all that kind of stuff, right? But if you just take time to think about it, I will trust the story. So here's what happened. The kings of the north figured out that if you're gonna make up a religion, you might as well make up an easy one, right? If you're gonna invent your religion, invent a religion, invent a religion that doesn't have a lot of requirements, like, why make it hard, right, if you're going to make it make it up? So what happened is, over in Israel, this is way back in time. This is like 900 years before Jesus. What happened was, there was this big division, like a civil war, and they had the north and the south. And in the north, they said, we can't let our people go back down to Jerusalem, so we're going to make up our own religion. So they did. They said, who wants to be a priest? Okay, you, 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 your priest, put a little oil on their forehead made a little prayer over them and said, okay, you're, you're now a priest. But they couldn't have the people worshiping the one true God. So they said, let's make up our own gods. And here's what they did. They, they made some little cows out of gold, which seems like a weird thing to me to worship. <laughs> but you'll notice in ancient history, they often worshiped bulls. You know, you'll find this in various civilizations. Bulls, like uh, male cows, right? Bulls. I don't. Know. And so that's what they did. They made up these two golden calves, and they hold up these golden calves, and they said, "Israel, these are your gods." And everybody's like, "Yay, we got new gods!" They just made it up. Well, not only that, it got worse than that. They imported foreign gods. So one of the kings of the north was named King Ahab. Now, don't confuse him with Captain Ahab. Remember Moby Dick, right? Don't confuse him, but it's the same name, Ahab, right? So there's King Ahab, and he marries a foreign woman named Jezebel. Now, I had never met a woman named Jezebel until just about three months ago down in Baltimore. I met a nurse named Jezebel because typically mothers and fathers will not name their children, their precious little daughters Jezebel because Jezebel was an evil woman. So he marries Jezebel, this foreign princess from a place called Sidon, and he brings her in and Jezebel brings her gods with her. So she has a God called Baal. B-A-A-L, Baal. And this Baal, it's like, I don't know if you've ever heard this word, Beelzebub? That's the first part of that word. That is, it's the devil. Baal. So she brings the worship of the devil, and it's a big statue, and she brings her own priest. So look what's happening, my friends. Here we've got Israel, the chosen people of God, and they're worshiping golden calves and the devil. Look how, quickly and how, uh, look how quickly they have sunk and drifted away from the things of God. This woman, Jezebel, let me just give you an idea how bad she was. One time, the king, King Ahab, looked out his palace window and he saw a lovely vineyard right next to the palace. And he thought, hmm, I would like to put in a vegetable garden there. Whose land is that? So they inquired. They found out it belonged to a man named Naboth. So he sent a message to Naboth and he said, oh, actually he went to him and he said, Naboth, I would like to buy the vineyard. Vineyard said, I cannot sell it to you, king. With all due respect, it was an inheritance from my father and I will not sell it. Well, this threw King Ahab into a funk. He became clinically depressed. He went back to the palace. He lay down on his bed. He turned his face to the wall and he refused to eat. He was sulking. He was depressed. I mean, why? Because he couldn't have a vegetable garden. You know, no zucchini, I guess. It really got him upset. So Jezebel comes in and she's like, what's wrong? He's like, well, Naboth won't. Naboth won't sell me the vineyard." She says, What don't you understand about being king? (laughs) You're in charge, dude. Take it. You're the king. She said, I'll show you how it's done. So she got some stationery and she wrote a letter to the elders of the village where Naboth lived. And she said, dear sirs, I want you to kill Naboth. Here's how you're going to do it. Have a big banquet. Get a couple of scoundrels up there. Have them swear that Naboth has blasphemed God and the king and then take him out and stone him to death. Sincerely. And then she signed her husband's name and put his seal of his signet ring on the letter. Send it off to the village. The village gets it. They're like, wow, this comes from the king. I guess we've got to do it. So they have this big festival. They have a party. Naboth is there. They sit two scoundrels across from him. The two scoundrels stand up in the middle of the... Of the meal, and they're like, What did you just hear? What Naboth said, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king, let's kill him. And they're all like, Yeah, we got to kill him. So they drag him out of the city, they stone him to death, they send word back to the king, The dirty deed has been done. Jezebel takes the message into the king, and she says, There, that's how kings handle these situations. Now go take that vineyard. It's yours. So he took it. He planted his vegetables or whatever. I just tell you that part of the story so you'll know what an evil woman she is. She's killing people for zucchinis. (laughs) But God has not left his people without a witness. Somebody to tell the truth. So there's a man named Elijah. Elijah. Elijah goes to the palace door. They open it up and he says, I want to see the king. So they take him in to see the king. And he says, just to get your attention, it's not going to rain until I say so. And then he leaves. A week passes, it doesn't rain. A month passes, it doesn't rain. The king's like, well, maybe it's just coincidental, right? Three months pass, it hasn't rained. Six months pass, a year passes. Now people are starting to get hungry. Two years go by, it has not rained. Now people are starving to death. Three years go by, now Elijah comes back. Now that I have your attention, I would like to invite you to bring the prophets of Baal... The one, remember the ones Jezebel has brought from Sidon to bring the prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel. Set a date, so the king sets a date. King says, "Whatever, I just got to have it rain. You know, I'm, we got to have rain. People are dying here." So the king sends out messengers, and he the message is, "Everybody, we're going to meet on Mount Carmel. Now, not caramel." That's what you get at the parlor on your big ice cream thing that's caramel like, this is just caramel some people would say it carmel but this is a mountain in northern israel uh, right along the mediterranean sea and he says we're gonna meet at mount carmel such and such a day everybody's got to be there so comes the day and they all show up there at mount carmel now, it's not a mountain with snow and glaciers and all that. It's not that tall, but it's, it's still a, a, you know, we would call it a mountain. Um, I suppose like some of the mountains in northern Michigan, kind of that size mountain. And all the people are there. And here are the 450 prophets of Baal. And here is Elijah. So Elijah's got everybody there. The king's there too. Jezebel's not there, but the king's there. And Elijah says to everybody, People! How long are you going to vacillate between these two gods? The one true God and Baal. How long are you going to... You can't serve them both. It's time to fish or cut bait. He didn't say that. I kind of added that part. But, you know, that's the idea. You've got to make up your minds, people. How long? Nobody said anything. He said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I propose a contest contest. Between these two gods, let's figure out which one is the true god, and then let's serve him. And the people are like, "Well, yeah, that's a good idea." He says, "Here's how we're going to do it: we're going to have a barbecue cook-off." And the people are like, "Man, it's a good idea. Food, everybody likes food, right?" We're going to have dinner church, he said. <laughs> Here's how we're going to do it. He says, okay, we've got 450 prophets of Baal, right? And you got me. He says, I want you to get two bulls. Interesting that he picked bulls, isn't it? I want you to get two bulls. They're going to have one. I'm going to have one. They're going to butcher theirs. I'm going to butcher mine. They're going to make an altar. I'm going to make an altar. But neither one of us are going to get matches. And each one of us are going to pray to our God. And the one true God is the God that sends fire from the sky. And all the people are like, yeah, this is going to be great. Plus, we're going to know which one's the true God, right? right? So Elijah says, you guys go first. So the 450 prophets of Baal, they butcher their animal and they make a little altar and then they start going around and they have these chants and these dances that they do because it was part of their rituals. They're all, they're all like, fire from the sky, fire from the sky. You know, and I don't, they're making up these chants and they're, they started in the morning. They went till noon and there is no fire from the sky. No. Just a lot of dust in the air. So Elijah is not one to suffer fools patiently. (laughs) So Elijah starts taunting them. Hey, he says, maybe you need to shout a little louder now. Maybe God can't hear you. Maybe he's getting deaf. Maybe Baal can't hear you. Maybe Baal is in the bathroom. Can't come, indisposed. You know, he's just taunting them. He's making fun of them. He says, maybe Baal's on a vacation. Tough luck for you guys. And of course, the people are laughing and smirking at him because they've been afraid of this God, Baal. And now apparently this God has no power, can't send fire from the sky. This makes the priests of Baal even more furious. So they get out their knives and they start cutting themselves. This was part of their ritual. They would cut themselves. So now they're, and they're, imagine 450 men and it hasn't rained for three years. There's a lot of dust. There's a lot of blood. It's very impressive, but there is no fire from the sky. So it gets them long mid-afternoon. They say, okay, we didn't get fire from the sky. Let's see you, wise guy. They turn to Elijah. Elijah says, okay, my turn. You guys sit down. He butchers his animal. But he looks around and he finds a big stone. And he picks up a big stone and he brings it over and he sets it down and he says, Reuben, finds another big stone, picks it up, brings it over. Simeon. Sets it down. Levi. Judah, 12 stones. He ends up with Benjamin. They know what he's saying. See, these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And he picks one stone for each one of the tribes and he builds an altar. That is kind of like a platform. So he builds this platform out of these stones. And the people know what he's saying. There shouldn't be this civil war, this division. It should just be one. We should all be together. Then he gets his wood, he puts it on the stones. Then he puts the animal, you know, all the the meat. And there's a lot of meat, you butcher a bowl, I mean, there's a lot of meat there. It's gotta be a pretty big altar there. Then he says, I need a shovel. Somebody gives him a shovel. And he digs a trench around the perimeter of this stone altar he has made. A, 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 A trench, right, this little ditch. Then he says, see those four jars over there? Fill them up with water and bring them to me. So they bring him the four jars. And he dumps these four jars of water on top of this pile of meat and wood and stone. Fill them up again. Four jars. Second time. How many is that now? Eight. 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 Dumps it on. Fill them up again. Brings them again. How many were we at? Pours it on it. 12 stones, 12 jars of water, one country, not 12 tribes split up in two. Now the whole thing's soaking wet. There is going to be no accusation that, oh, it just kind of spontaneously caught on fire. (laughs) He is stacking the deck against himself. He wants these people to be so convinced There's no way they can talk themselves out of this. He has put so much water on this that the trench is filled up with water. Then he says, come closer. So then the people come in. No, closer still, he says. So now they're all right around the altar. There are hundreds, perhaps thousands of people there and the 450 nervous prophets of Baal over there watching all this spectacle going on. He doesn't dance, he doesn't chant, he doesn't cut himself. Elijah simply looks up into the sky and he says, O God, father of Abraham, Jacob and Isaac, show yourself today. Show yourself so that these people will know that you are the one true God, that I'm not just making this up. Show yourself so that you will turn their hearts back to you. Turn their hearts back to Out of the sky comes a bolt of fire. Maybe it was lightning. I don't know. But out of the sky comes fire. It consumes the meat. It's not just medium rare, rare, well done, ashes. It's gone. (laughs) It's so hot, this fire from the sky. The meat is gone. The wood is gone. The stones are gone. And the water in the trench is gone. All the dust is gone, it says. This fire from the sky is just, in one instant, it has all disappeared. It has been annihilated. And the people, as one person, fall on their faces and they cry out in terror, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. The Lord... And then they look over at those prophets of Baal who are now much less confident. (laughs) Elijah said, they have to die. They were leading you to death and now they must die. They take them down into the valley. They kill those 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah says to King Ahab, because he's been there this whole time. He's seen the whole thing. Elijah says to Ahab, you know, you better get something to eat. And if I were you, I'd start for home because it's starting to look like rain. They both look at the sky and there's not a cloud in the sky. Does so it's starting to look like rain, he says. So King Ahab gets in his chariot and starts home. And <coughs> meanwhile, Elijah takes his servant And they go further up Mount Carmel. Now, like I said, Mount Carmel is very near the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, I've been there two or three times. And when you're up on the mountain, I mean, the sea is just right there. It's not far at all. So Elijah gets up the hill, the mountain. He kneels down. He puts his head down on the ground right between his knees. And he starts I assume, praying for rain. It doesn't say what he's praying for, but I assume he's praying for rain. Anyways, he puts his head on the ground. He's praying. And then he says to his servant, go look out over the sea and tell me if there's a cloud. So the servant goes and looks out over the sea and he's looking and looking. And he comes back. He says, no boss, there's nothing. Elijah prays again. Okay, now go we'll look. Second time, the servant goes over. He looks Peering out there, he's trying as hard as he can to see some kind of cloud, but frankly, there's no cloud there. He comes back, no, boss, there's nothing. Third time he prays. Now go look. He comes back, no, boss, there's nothing. Fourth time he prays. Now go look. He comes back. He says, "I'm telling you, there is nothing." What do you want me to do? Fifth time Elijah prays. Now go look. He goes and he looks and he comes back. No, there's nothing. Sixth time he prays. Now go look. He comes back. No, there's nothing. Seventh time he prays. Now go look. He he goes out and he looks and. Well, that's funny. Hmm. Look at that. Hmm. Comes back. Boss, um, I don't know if it means anything or not, but there's a small cloud. It's about the size of the palm of my hand. Elijah gets up. That's big enough. Dusts himself off. And then the power of God comes over him in a, in a strange way, and he... You know, in those days, he wouldn't have worn trousers. He would have had on like a robe. And he picks up his robe, the hem of it, and he sticks it in his belt. And he starts running. He runs down the hill and he runs toward the capital, which is where the place where King Ahab was heading in his chariot, back to where Jezebel was waiting. As he's running and as King Ahab's chariot is churning its way toward Jezebel, Toward the capital, this little cloud has now become a cumulus cloud, has now become a thunderhead, has now become a tremendous rainstorm. And farmers come out and they just turn their head up and those raindrops starts hitting them and... I don't know if you've seen, but you probably have uh, rain hitting really parched land and it, it hits like bullets and just puffs of dust in every raindrop. There would have been children, like any child under three, this would have been the first rain they'd ever seen and they're out there, what's this, mommy? And this is rain, remember what we always told you about and farmers are crying and people are so happy. Rain has come and King Ahab's wheels are barely making it. It's getting so muddy. Elijah passes him. He's running so fast, overtaken by this Spirit of God. And he gets, the, he gets to the palace, and he's actually there ahead of Ahab. And you, you can just imagine him getting there, and he's like, I guess this settles it, right? Once and for all, right? No turning back, right? It's God, right? We proved it. And he's the one true God, right? Ahab gets in the castle, and you know who is waiting for him. Arms crossed. Toe tapping. Where have you been? He says, Well, honey, funny thing happened today. You remember those 450 prophets of yours? Well, you know, they're dead. What? I leave you alone for one day? So she goes and she gets the stationery out again and she writes another letter. Remember she wrote the letter about Naboth. Now she writes another letter. Dear Elijah, today there are 450 dead prophets. By this time tomorrow, there will be 451 dead prophets if you get my meaning. Sincerely, Jezebel. XOXOXO. exo exo. Elijah is terrified by this letter. And he takes off running. I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but he runs down south through Jerusalem, down to Beersheba, which is what, another 50 miles south, through Hebron, down to Beersheba. And he doesn't stop there. He goes all the way down to where Moses got the Ten Commandments. He's on this this chair. He runs far. He runs uh, hiding from this woman Jezebel. Like I said, I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but some of you will remember the story about the earthquake and the wind and, and then the still small voice and all that happens. You know, all that's going on in this time. But let me, let me fast forward to what happens to King Ahab. So King Ahab is still king. This is like seven years later. He's still king. And there is a war between Israel and Syria, which is also called Aram. Like you've heard of Arameans. Well, this is Aram, Arameans, Syria. It's all the same place. So there is a war between Syria and Israel, and King Ahab goes out into the battle He's in his chariot. He has a driver, one or two horses. I don't know, but it would have been that kind of small chariot. He's out in the battle. And one of the Aramean soldiers, one of the archers, puts an arrow in his bow, and he doesn't even aim it. He just shoots it, like, up in the air. And by one of these strange coincidences of life, that arrow goes up, 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 and then starts down. And King Ahab, who is wearing armor, now in those days, it wouldn't have been metal armor. It would have been thick leather. So they would have had strips of thick leather, and then between, where the leather was sewn together, there would have been these joints. And by one of these strange coincidences, Coincidences. The arrow starts coming down and it strikes King Ahab right in the joint of his armor. The only place where it could have penetrated goes right in, strikes a vital organ. King Ahab says, I'm hit. Get me out of here. So the charioteer spins the chariot around, takes him toward the back. King Ahab says, I want to see how the battle uh, unfolds the rest of the day. So he sits there. But as the afternoon wanes, he is slipping lower and lower in the chariot and there is more and more blood on the floor of the chariot. And as evening comes, King Ahab dies in battle. The charioteer, now it's nighttime, takes the chariot back to the capital. They take his body out. They bury him. They clean the floor of the chariot with water and the dogs come. And this is for them a sign of great disgrace. But the dogs came and licked up his blood. He died in a very ignoble way. He was humiliated in death. His son <laughs> becomes Ahaziah, becomes king. He lasts like two years then. He's killed he doesn't last very long. And then another son of King Ahab becomes king. And his name is Joram. So now Joram is king. Jezebel is still the queen mother. She's still there. But now Joram is king. And God raises up a man named Jehu to fix things. Okay. And Jehu comes driving up. I don't know if you've ever heard the expression, somebody drives like Jehu. But Jehu was a maniac driver. He was known for this. He was just a crazy driver. And they could tell him from a long way off, they'd say, that, hey, drives like Jehu. Because he just drove like a madman. So he comes up, and he's on a mission from God to wipe out evil. So he comes to Joram, and Joram says, do you come in peace? And he says, nope. <laughs> Shoots him right in the back. Joram is dead. This is King Ahab's son and Jezebel's son. Jehu says, throw the body over there in that vineyard. And you're thinking, vineyard? Could it be that vineyard? Yeah. They threw Ahab's son's body into the vineyard that he had gotten by having Naboth killed. I mean, just look at how things work out if you live long enough. Look at how things work out, right? So his body's there, and now Jehu comes after Jezebel. So he gets up to the palace. He's on his horse. Jezebel has has heard that he's coming. She puts herself in the window, and she starts putting on makeup. I know that she painted her eyes probably lapis lazuli, if you know that blue stone that they used back in Egypt and all, probably puts lapis lazuli on her eyes. Then she starts brushing her hair. She wants to look beautiful. Even in death, she's a vain woman. She's leaning out the second story window. Jehu rides up and Jehu says, Is anyone in there with me? (laughs) There's some scurrying around inside the palace and a couple of (laughs) thumbs-ups. And from behind, they grab her and throw her out the window. Now, you know, a fall from a second story is probably not going to kill you, right? So Jehu, on his horse, rode in, and the story simply says that his horse's hooves were splattered with her blood. You can imagine how that happened. Then he goes in to eat. I mean, he's the fixer. He's the guy cleaning up the stuff. He goes to, goes to eat. They just go in and they eat. After dinner. He said, you know what, fellas? After all, she was a princess. I want you to give her a burial. Go out. You, you, you. Go out, bury that woman. So they go out. They came back in just a couple minutes later. He said, I thought I told you to bury her. We're sorry, boss, they said, but uh, the dogs got to her. All we found were her hands and her skull. So there never was a grave that said Jezebel on it. There was no marker of her life she was not buried and isn't it kind of funny that that same thing well isn't it funny that Elijah wasn't buried either right so Elijah you remember how that happened right Elijah has chosen his successor cuz he's getting old he knows his time is near And he chooses his his successor, a man named Elisha. So Elijah chooses Elisha, and they're walking along the road, and some kind of wormhole opens up or something in the space-time continuum, and out of the sky comes something that they described as a chariot on fire drawn by horses on fire. Right now, you and I might have different descriptors for it, but that was their, that's all they knew, and that's what this looked like to them, and maybe it was, right? But do you know the song, Swing low, sweet chariot. That's where that song comes from, because that chariot swung low, came right down alongside where Elijah was walking with Elisha, and Elijah never died. He simply stepped off planet Earth, stepped onto that fiery chariot, and He was out of here. Elijah has left the building. And if you pay attention to the story, you will notice that Elijah shows up again about 900 years later. He's on another hilltop. He's with his friend named Moses. And he's with the one who came to fix it all. He's with Jesus. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus goes up and he, there he is with Moses and who? Elijah. <laughs> and they're talking about Jesus' imminent return to heaven. Swing low, so my friends, that's the story of Elijah, Ahab, Jezebel. And in there, there's a little bit of the story of Jesus too. Now, do you remember what your commitment to me was? That you would spend... Five minutes sometime later today, just thinking. So, what does this story teach me about God? And what does this story teach me about how I should live? Those are the two questions. What does it teach me about God? What does it teach me about how I should live? Let me pray with you.